Hello. Hello. How are you? Fine. <laughs> Fine. <sighs> nice fast keeps killing Skype and rebooting it every time it needs to start broadcasting, and then my audio hijack yelled at me that my Skype was missing, and now it's back, and... I don't know why. We, I mean, we've do, been doing this for, what, like 5, 10, 15 years now, and mm-hmm. the setup's the same, but, you know. Yeah. Whatever. The runtime of Mission Impossible Fallout is how long this podcast has been going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a beloved franchise, just like us. Mm-hmm. Are we a franchise? We're not technically a franchise, no, are we? No, no, um, we are. We don't have any, like, satellite... Uh, things nothing spun off of this there's I mean, like we had uh, a we podcast had where art. you move into college in the city and like make new friends <laughs> <laughs> i mean we had uh remember when we had fan art and stuff and people listened and like uh took our, our jokes and our our memes and made them into things yeah i don't know nobody makes memes anymore <laughs> nobody's happy nobody's been happy since uh, uh 2015 was, i don't know let's not put a specific date on that but <laughs> let's uh <laughs> nobody's been happy for half a decade yeah times have been tough um i'll put this uh this reese's cup out of my out of my range of grabbing because i wanted to open it don't don't open the reese's cup i already ate the snickers (laughs) the the fun size snickers dan did you buy this halloween candy in preparation for trick-or-treaters and you're just going to eat it all yourself before they get there no we have more self-knowledge than that we bought it uh to put in a halloween bowl and eat it ourselves Oh, oh! This is this is the 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 candy you keep, not the candy you yeah, give. Yeah, this is uh, this is this is one for us. Mm-hmm. One, one for one me for and studio, one for you. One for us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Two this for is, me this and is the one, one for, for you. Us. <laughs> <sighs> no. Uh, so mm-hmm. let's just cut directly to the chase because there's so many chases. <laughs> <laughs> the movie certainly doesn't do that. Uh, um, we we are here for the final uh, at the time of recording the final installment of. Mission Impossible, Mission Colon Impossible, uh, mm-hmm. M dash, no, sorry, N dash, Fallout. Yeah. We, did we ever really get like a firm clarification on the punctuation that should be used for these? No, because Wikipedia looks like it has an M dash and uh, IMDb looks like a hyphen and then the poster has nothing. It's mm-hmm. just carriage return. Yeah. Maybe we should just do a backslash N. But, um, so. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> we we uh, we started this journey at the suggestion of yourself, uh, and I, <laughs> I have I, to rehash the origin of this series every well, single time. Someone might be tuning in right now, and they'd be like, "Why? Why are they talking about this?" As if Joe had mm. never seen it before. And the answer Somebody's is tuning in because they're like, "Oh, Mission Impossible Fallout is my favorite. I have to listen to yes. just that one." Well, I mean, I certainly don't feel like you need to go in order on these ones. You can fill in the blanks yourself. But uh, just a brief recap. Uh, we we uh, we started with this series that that Dan likes and a lot of people like, and then I I had I had bailed on um, after watching the second movie in in reality when that had happened, um, and decided no more. And also Tom Cruise is weird and I don't like him, um, so uh, I missed out on everything from three on, uh, and so we've caught back up officially now, and I've seen all of these impossible missions, and there's. Seven and eight, which are greenlit, and they're on the horizon. And Christopher McQuarrie's doing them again. And he had done these last two and contributed story stuff to the fourth one. 
So he's he's you know he's got a thing going with this this thing. He's found his groove. He's a, a steward of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, he's <laughs> his tweets are franchises. Oh man, <laughs> he had a twenty-four <laughs> part tweet today. He numbered them, so I was. I mean, I wouldn't have counted uh, had he not. But he was just like, wow. Mm-hmm. Get a, get a blog there, buddy. But um, you know, he's he's sharing he's sharing his information, which is mostly personal to a very specific scenario in which he was employed. Uh, yeah, <laughs> through mostly how to be Christopher McQuarrie without being Christopher McQuarrie because there can only be one Christopher McQuarrie. Yeah, so uh, don't run out and buy that self help book. But uh, it's Twitter, it's free, Joe. <sighs> that was... Just sign up. Mm. Yeah, wow, you, just you, giving you it away for it in, in your soul. <laughs> Uh, but, you know, this is certainly something where, because Christopher McQuarrie has been involved in, uh, so many of these now, he certainly has had the chance to develop a through line in terms of plot and story and characters, um, figuring out where he wants to take things. Uh, so it's been a lot more connected, uh, than I would say the first three installments certainly were. Um, where mm. you were kind of just going, hey, so uh, next, let's let's do another thing. Tom Cruise, come back. Ving Rhames, come back. Forget about everything else. <laughs> that was basically how one, two, and three went. Um, because we had completely different kinds of storytelling, uh, everything going on. Um, same basic plot thingies of traitors and stuff, uh, which I'm glad to see uh, we went back to again. Because yeah. as we've... As as we've gone through these in real time, and I did not know it was coming up, I uh, had limit. I had uh, said that you know it was it would be nice if we just stopped having traitors in the organization, and that they get disavowed and have to do everything on their own every t- single time because it feels a little samey um, at a certain point where they're just on their own making do scrappy team, and it's like, well, mm-hmm. yeah, but like, how many convoluted ways can you invent to do that? Uh, and the answer is. Six so far, but uh, they've got <laughs> they've well, got this, this one's a little bit of a uh, um, uh, you know handing over the keys to the city from one uh, bad guy the 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 traitor well it wasn't really an inside traitor a traitor from MI six handing over the the keys to the kingdom to a traitor from the CIA yeah, so. well inside trading is also illegal it's true it's more the Stuart probably, went to jail for <laughs> probably not as illegal as uh, setting off nuclear warheads. Uh, for oh. the purpose of killing people and also, uh, was it glaciers Fl- flooding yeah. the no, earth? Well, the new, well, radiating the glaciers so that you right, can right. use them <laughs> for food. But uh, but that's getting ahead of ourselves. I just briefly want to get back to insider trading. What if Martha Stewart was the villain in one of these? That would be fantastic. Uh, she would make a good Bond villain because she's always very calm and smiley, so it would be a little uh, extra uh, disconcerting. And she's got a layer. Hello. Come on. Um, but uh, <laughs> n- never mind. Uh, so this movie, we we start with logos again, and they've trimmed down the animated logos. Skydance is notably shorter, um, <laughs> which I just feel like I need to comment on because I gave them so much, uh, you know, gruff for the mm. like super long letters floating through space thing but um they made it snappier alibaba's is less bad um but still bad i don't know how they manage that one but it's it's like a i don't know 
some sort of infomercial that's going to come on in your airplane seat back. It's it's a they need to, to like hire like literally anyone else over who's doing it right now. Um, or maybe the person who's who's making all these decisions uh, is like, I really love our the way our logo sort of fades in and animates with sparkles. Make sure you keep that every single time. But uh, we we go through that and the bad robot Photoshop cloud thing. You know, I guess money can't mm. buy taste for any of these people. But uh, we get to the <laughs> beginning and uh, well, a bad robot has good. I mean, not in their logo, but they no. have good taste in general. Yeah, but not in not in logos. It is remarkable. How bad that logo is compared to how successful Bad Robot isn't is. It, isn't the logo like one of those things? Like it was a like a drawing from when they were just getting started or scrappier when they were young or something. They're like, ah, it's just uh, we we've had this forever, so we got to keep it or something. Yeah, except don't. Um, you can <laughs> you can refresh that uh, anytime saying, well, you want. I mean, they have refreshed it at one point when they went 3D with it. I just yeah. I, I'm saying I don't think that they think that it's like we're big time professional movie studio and here's our logo. It's like the well they started as a smaller thing and now they have that. Yeah, but if you want to if you want to have that thing going on, just I don't know, put it in the post credits roll thing at the very 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 end. Mm. Also, what's I mean, so bad about hiding out in the tall grass? I mean, it's just. I don't know just, just standing there why is the robot bad but um anyway why <laughs> does is anyone this... ever ask how is the robot <laughs> what is the robot's inner life like but uh so we've got the beginning of this movie where uh ethan is having a dream and it's very obvious that it's a dream because why would it be staged like this uh and he's in this valley and he's with michelle monahan and there is a uh, figure that we see only from the back and then we hear Sean Harris's voice, and we're like, well, that's Solomon Lane, because who else could it be? And yeah. um, it takes him t- a long time to recognize him, though. Yeah, well, it's just why you know it's a dream. Uh, and then uh, he, he's like, no, no, I, I don't don't promise to take vows. No, don't make me. And then the nuclear explosion goes off, and Solomon Lane says, you should have killed me when you had the chance, Ethan. And uh, we, we get him waking up from his, his dream uh, yeah. in an anamorphic lens flare cold sweat. Uh, and <laughs> there's a there's a couple of dreams in this movie, and um, it's nice that it sort of uh, highlights a little bit of the internal anxiety that Ethan Hunt might have with the situation that he's put his former wife in. Um, but at the same time, uh, it doesn't make any sense that he's um, predicting these sorts of things. Yes. Or like maybe he's just like. He's so good at his job that he knows the fact that Solomon Lane isn't dead means that Solomon Lane is going to be a problem at some point. But, you know, the idea that uh, he's he's featured in the in the dream as the bad thing, and then there's also the nuclear explosion thing. A little, little bit and, too much. And, uh, and the Mountain Valley. <laughs> and the Mountain Valley. A little too much presaging in his dream Yeah. Um, for, for sanity's sake. But whatever, whatever, it's fine. You, yeah. you, you get away with one, and then you do another one later, and it's like, why... I, I, yeah, I, I gotta say, I don't care for these dream sequences. I don't like the fake out, um, because, like I said, it was very obvious that it was a dream sequence. Uh, yeah. so the, the, it immediately makes me not really invested in what's happening because it's not like you're, you're pulling one over on me. And mm. I don't really care that Ethan is having these feelings, except for the fact that all of a sudden he's gained supernatural powers. Um, <laughs> and. Well, his subconscious has. Yeah, because these are incredibly specific to the events of the movie. And like you said, the second one later on, too. It's just like, can we 
can we not do that? Can we just like break this one up a little bit, tiny bit, itty bitty bit? Was the the second one was was still even before that they had threatened uh, Michelle Monaghan, so he still that he hadn't been aware yet that they were aware of her. So that was also doubly like they could have put it after um, they did the photo threatening and then it would have made a little bit more sense, but they did not do that. No, it's, I, I don't, I don't care for that as a storytelling mechanism because it wasn't yeah. necessary. Uh, we, we know, I know that uh, Christopher McQuarrie might be like, I want to make sure that people know that Solomon Lane's in here, but at the same time, it's like, Either they're on board and they've been watching all of these and they would find that kind of refresher condescending or they're going to pick it up from the dialogue that happens during the mission briefing about Solomon yeah, like, Lane. What would have been the problem with having the reveal be that photo on the table? That would have been pretty dramatic, I think. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Um, and uh, so while, while we're in this section, before we, we get uh, too far down the path of the story, uh, can I ask you a little bit about uh, Christopher McQuarrie's writing style uh, i mean i don't really know how to describe it uh first of all the movie's very long and i think there are a couple of reasons for that and uh there's, there's also a, a pace to it that i think is very christopher mcquarrie and uh I, I feel like this movie he's really sort of like he's found his groove from the past too and he's he's doing his thing now so this to me looks like he's getting the stuff that he wants and uh I, i'm curious what you make of what he's doing here and the choices he's made and why it is the way it is. I'm trying not to pre like to preload you with an answer. I feel like this movie is overly long. I feel like it has too many things crammed into it for it to make a lot of coherent sense as a single film. I feel like my things are like threads or what? plot things i feel like this movie has several events that take place which are very big events um and that they just keep going at certain points Mm. and it feels like there were several moments in which you could tie it up and move on to another uh (laughs) installment of this franchise um i not 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 saying like oh well he needed to cut this sequence out it's like I, i don't feel that way about the movie i just feel like there's maybe two movies or a movie and a half shoved in here mm. um and what well, this, this, should be the set the... pieces might be the same number as the previous movie but they've gotten larger and longer yeah, that uh i don't think that has anything to do with the writing but uh that has more to do with his mm. directing style and i think he keeps trying to to one up certain things and i i feel like that is an unfortunate tendency because um while the Mission Impossible series has been uh, lauded for its um, uh, live-action stunts and car-chases and motorcycle-chases and climbing uh, and blah, 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 etc. Like, this stuff was captured in a lens. Uh, you know, all that stuff. It's that That's all good, but it can wear on you in the same way that um, the all-CG fights at the end of a Marvel movie can wear on you, where it's like, does this advance the story to continue this action sequence further? I especially (laughs) felt that way about Paris when they were uh, getting out of the situation where they, 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 they had uh, abducted Solomon Lane and then Ethan's on a motorcycle for what feels like an eternity, uh, just going down various streets in Paris. 
they abduct him and then then they do that trope that's in other movies where they open the garage door and there's a cop there and then the cop spoils things and they drive away and then suddenly uh what's her name's there um wow totally just lost her name. Ilsa's there mm-hmm. and then Ilsa's the bad guy and then now he's no, on a motorcycle that's not even that's not even the first there's two there's two chases in Paris. I'm talking about the yeah, first chase. Yeah, I know, chase. I know. Like there's the there's the first thing where they like they get him and then they get him and then Ilsa's there and then there's motorcycles and then there's there's boats and it's it just it continues for a very long time. Yeah, I, I feel like the point was made. Um, there is a chase. There is action that is occurring. Mm. Um, the length of time action is occurring is not necessarily a bonus uh, for me because <laughs> it starts to just be boring because there's no story happening when that's going on. Yeah. You know? I mean, some of it's cool, though, and the people who come to see these movies do want to see the spectacle, but it's possible that some of these... Like, I, I did really enjoy this, watching this this time, um, I, but uh, it did take a very long time to watch it. Yeah. And I'm not just saying this because my time is brief um i'm I'm, uh, my time on this earth uh but uh there's (laughs) there is a certain thing that it does because it it's a lot of time that you're spending that isn't telling the story the action isn't telling a story um i feel is an important part to remember uh the action is action uh, that is occurring now they do things they go from point a to point b but oftentimes because Chris McQuarrie wants to do the Mission Impossible, like, aha, you didn't realize we were secretly going to cut this mesh and drop into a boat. Then it just feels like you're driving around the streets forever for no reason. Um, it doesn't feel like it ties into a plan um, just because you want to have that surprise reveal of, aha, you got away. But uh, it's... I would I mean, t- we, we always talk about how these movies are, um, they're always on like a compressed timeline where it's like they're on a plane and they're like, here's our plan. We've got 30 minutes to get there before the world explodes. So gear up. And it's like, wow, cutting it close. Like this whole movie takes place over the course of like 17 hours because like that's how urgent this uh, world ending scenario is. But it almost feels like at this point, like the movie is just going to basically be uh, a real time 17 hour trip alongside the Mission Impossible team. Uh, where we see all of the the crazy things that they do from place to place, because it's just like you see all of it. There's all the action. There's not a lot of uh, TLDR. We 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 got the thing. And we got out of there. Yeah. There's an abbreviation here at the beginning to go back to the story structure, um, where uh, they have a failed, a botched uh, trade for plutonium cores from an arms dealer. Uh, which, which Ethan learns about from a projector in a book in some sort of weird dark room that he's living in in God knows where. Yeah, because uh, that was all part of his waking up from a cold sweat dream and then having his weird little spy convo, getting the thing, opening it up, right. doing the IMF stuff, I debriefing. I am a storm. Yeah. Uh, what a storm. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> he he's there to make his trade the trade goes south um because in the the tape we learn that there are apostles who are true believers of uh the of solomon lane um and former from the former syndicate which has dissolved because it doesn't have any like money or resources or you know a people list that isn't exposed to the world but uh but anyway these apostles um have managed to get the drop on ethan and everybody else and uh so they cut the power to ving rames 
uh, Van, put him at gunpoint. Uh, Ethan can't uh, turn over the cores to save Ving Rames, and they do the thing with the car, and then he's going to leave the cores by the car. And I was like, why don't you just put the cores in the car and shut the door and lock it? Because... <laughs> <laughs> at least nobody's gonna get the car uh but then he uh does the stupid thing which is leaving it out in the open and then they both run off to to, to make sure that ving rames is safe um and uh they return to find that the cores are missing and uh this is where they have a debriefing with alec baldwin uh oh sorry <laughs> Before that, uh, we also learned from this tape that Niels de Brooke was building an atomic bomb. So then we go to uh, Wolf Blitzer briefing on <laughs> CNN, which uh, is one of the few moments of levity in this film. Although it's it's played deadly serious at first, but it just becomes funny later at, at the reveal. Uh, but D- did you buy it that these explosions had gone off? Yeah. Uh, yes, up until he started doing good cop, bad cop. And then I was like, wait, 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 wait. Oh, hold, it's, when hold Ethan was getting real heated, like he was going to beat up the guy who was changed to yeah, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is <laughs> this is a little too, you know, law and order. Um, a little too NYT, NYPD blue. Um, yeah, but, but it's interesting to see them basically do like the high-tech version of the opening scene from the first movie. Yeah, yeah. It's but because it, it, they they get the mouse trap, which is something that they really haven't used in the series other than the first movie. But yeah, was it's a, probably not I, entirely a thing of the series necessary for the walls to fall down? But um, no, and I have to imagine everybody went deaf from the sound that that made. <laughs> it's very dramatic, though. Yeah, uh, if you want to, you know, scare somebody, but then they just like zapped him in the neck. Yeah, yeah, you just just have like a casual metal cage room that has. Walls that fall to the floor um, in yeah, an extraction but, uh, point in Berlin or something. As long as as long as Wolf Blitzer reads the manifesto on TV, he'll unlock his cell phone for the cops. Which Ugh. you know, don't do that. Well, uh, can, can I just say, has there has there ever been a good manifesto? Like ever? No, I don't think so. No, no, it's always bad. <laughs> manifestos are always bad. Stop making manifestos. If you were a villain, please. Don't call it a manifesto. Just just say it's your it's your life's work or something. Like just just write it up in a nice way. Like yeah, say or, hey, or hey here, here's my medium sh- post. Yeah, maybe maybe something short like a tagline that can fit on a t-shirt or something like a you know like don't tread on me or like a live free or die kind of thing. Like get get <laughs> something short and to the point. Um not, you know. Well, I guess they have the um uh what's the thing that they say uh the great peace follows great suffering greater the suffering greater the peace yes uh whatever that's that's close i guess it's still a little limericky for my taste but it's well it makes a lot more sense when you find out henry cavill wrote it (laughs) and then you're like oh okay (laughs) (laughs) yeah can you just imagine him just like this giant muscly guy with a mustache scrawling this down like in his little notebook on an airplane he's like oh this is no i'm gonna have him read this (laughs) no he's, he's like I'm going to take my Dell out, and I'm going to open up Microsoft Word. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to type it in one letter at a time on the keyboard. Uh, By the Uh, way, I have to say, uh, I like Henry Cavill, um, especially in this role. Like, he was... I I enjoyed him as a spy in Man from Uncle, which is a very bad movie. Um, But I I like him in this movie. He, He plays a good... Uh, large, muscly, blunt object of a human being uh, doing a job. I don't particularly enjoy where his character goes, but uh, in the first half of the movie, I, I like his presence. Uh, hmm. This is complicated. Uh, I was 
not sold on him. I, I like Henry Cavill. Um, he's very easy on the eyes, etc. And he's got a <laughs> the, that porn stash thing going on. Yeah. Um, he's got a great smile when he's smashing you in the face with a laptop. Yeah, yeah. It's just he's probably not the best use of a laptop, but maybe he should have done that when he's writing his manifesto. But uh, the. Uh, the whole thing with him being John Lark. Oh, uh, but also getting back to uh, spoiler, him. spoiler, bro. We it's literally talked. No, you talked about the end of the movie, Dan. Already, <laughs> so, spoiler. Uh, but uh, but with him being John Lark, it is a stretch because it's supposed to be this like thoughtful, like you know, this is the only way there can be peace. You know, blah 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 thing. And it's mm. like we meet him, and he's like basically like a frat bro. Um, he's He's not. He, he doesn't seem as subtle or uh, thought focused <laughs> to to pull off uh, this sort of thing. Maybe it's an affectation that he's putting on. Only after the reveal, he still behaves exactly the same. So it just seems strange because he's just kind I of mean, like a, like you said, a big blunt instrument. Like like Erica Sloan says, um, "This is a hammer." Um, yeah. But uh, so, so it makes the whole thing with the manifesto and all of his careful planning like very strange, especially when uh, you have the conversation with him and uh, Simon Pegg standing in for uh, Sean Harris, where uh, they they do the whole like this was this plan of yours is too complicated and we should have just done blah, 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 blah. Um, like that, that makes me think like, well, your plan wasn't like streamlined by any stretch of the imagination either. So I don't understand who's making all these plans. Like it just doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's that same character who is responsible for these things. Right. Uh, and it doesn't feel like the, the, an anarchist with an ideology, he's just kind of, uh, he's a, well, not so much a chess piece, but he's a, he's a spy doing spy things. Yeah. He, he's very bro-y. Um, and, uh, the, the, uh, the the there's also a weird thing because he's you know British so when he's putting on an American accent to perform this role um, he's not doing the same Superman thing but he's doing a weird like I don't know pseudo John Wayne thing when he like sort of like says something over a long period of time with the pause <laughs> in it and it's like why are you, why are you doing that <laughs> um, you have made me just realize that I don't think I know what he sounds like when he's speaking normally. <laughs> I, I, for a second, is I couldn't he, tell if he, you were intentionally ma- making a reference to the birdcage, but <laughs> uh, I, sure, re- I never really realized that John Wayne walked that way. <laughs> let's let's say yes. Um, mm-hmm. He's uh, he's British. Yes. Uh, wow. Oh God, he was. He's wow. He's the same he age really as fooled you, you Dan. <laughs> he's, he's the same age as you. That's also disconcerting. Ah, <sighs> well, yes. Yeah, yeah. Much better than me. Maybe well, my, my 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 disaffection for Henry Cavill is rooted in my jealousy. <laughs> uh, I mean, he he stands toe to toe with Tom Cruise pretty well. Who is yeah, uh, and strangely enough, Alec old. Baldwin at one point. <laughs> oh yeah, I love Alec Baldwin. He's in here and he's doing. I mean, he's doing his Alec Baldwin best uh, with some of this material, but they they give him a lot of things to say that are you know, their words nonsense. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah. Uh, if you'll okay, uh, I'm gonna give up on going through this movie. That's fine. That's fine. 
piece by piece uh, because that's, there's so many pieces. There's so it's many not going to happen. We'll just pivot from I, thing well, that I we're talking the, about to uh, thing we're talking about. I opened the Wikipedia plot summary and I fully expected it to be like eight pages long. Like it is only uh, six very long. Oh, sorry, seven very long paragraphs. But uh, it's there, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that happens. And and I think uh, so. He, I, I asked you about Christopher McQuarrie's style because um, I'm trying to wrap my head around what I think he's doing in this movie that kind of gives it this tone where it feels like you're always doing character development and plot things and action simultaneously. It feels like every act has a beginning, middle, and end. And in that act, every scene has a beginning, middle, and end. And he does not want to let any bit of it go because he likes what he gets from it with, you know, you've got character moments where they're, they're talking quietly and they're, they're, I don't know, explaining how they feel and what they want. And then you've got a lot of action stuff. And then you, it's, it's, it's every little piece of it all along the way. Like they, they don't like, you don't get to know the characters and then they punch each other for the next hour and a half. Like every step of the way, it's like, okay, here's a new character. And now we're going to have a quiet moment. Now we're going to have an action moment. Now we're going to just do this whole thing over and over again. And it's like, I, I I do. What did you say earlier? You said it wears on you a little bit. I think I think something. Well, there's some sort of feeling where it just it, you kind of numb to this like repetitive uh, process of in his his pacing of what he's how he's laying this out. I I would say specifically it's the action parts that I that I find repetitive um, and overly long. But I'm going to push back a little in that I do appreciate that the exposition is tied into what's going on. I, oh sure, it's all done very well, which is the problem too, because that's why you said you can't just like snip out a section. It's all done very well, and you really like you like the character stuff, you like the action set pieces. But when you have them all there and you don't like abbreviate any of them, you end up with a two and a half hour movie. Yeah, oh, that's what I was getting back to when I was saying it feels like more movie shoved into a movie, um, w- as opposed to something like uh, a tiny bit of movie that's stretched out to two and a half hours. Um, because while there is a lot of action and stuff that's going on, um, and certainly a lot of it is repetitive, like, ah, I turned down this street. Uh Uh-oh, got to turn down this street. And it's like, okay, okay. (laughs) just keep, keep turning down different streets. We'll get there eventually. Um, Honestly, parts of it feel like he goes like, all right, we've worked our way into this part of the the set and the story. And it's like, what's the craziest thing that could happen to him right here? It's like, all right, let's try that. And then like, how does he get out of it this way? It's like, okay, he's out. Now what's the craziest thing that's going to happen here? Let's do that too. It's like, where does it stop? It's just recursive at some point. I don't know. I, uh, I I feel like the it's not it's not like JJ in Mission Impossible Three where it was just like explosion, 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 keep running. Um, you know, it's not it's not like there that he's that uh, he's propelling Ethan Hunt through the story. Sure, um, but it's like he finally escaped, or did he? And now he has this. It's it's like it's like a level. It's like a game of Mario. Like you beat the boss, and then there's a new bigger boss after that. And it's like, how many bosses till we get to the end of the the game here? I mean, I, but I think that goes back to the fact that it feels like it it's a movie that has several points where it could have ended and become a different movie um, mm-hmm. because the the goal the goalpost keeps moving um, for what's going on. Now the goalpost is still the same thing it was at the beginning of the movie that they need to recover the plutonium cores, but their mission to do that 
keeps changing every single time they do a mission because they keep not quite getting what they needed to do right yeah exactly uh the the movie is um spy yak shaving basically like they try to get the plutonium back and then they cause 10 more problems then by solving solving those they create 10 more problems from each of those problems kind of thing a little bit um also the movie like i said relies on a traitor in the organization um a uh, a supervisor that doesn't believe in ethan um and can (laughs) curtail him all right, so uh, yeah, both of those things occur in that one scene where uh, Alec Baldwin comes back in the uh, the, uh, the the IMDb plot calls it a safe house, but it's really just sort of a basement. Uh, I I don't know about you, but that scene in particular felt uh, pretty by the numbers. Like, oh, who could the spy be? Cut to Henry Cavill, and it's like, ah, I didn't trust you all along. I've got you surrounded with CIA guys. Or do you? Like, all of that stuff was very much like, all right, we just took this from every spy movie ever slash all of the other I'm or, uh, impos- Ugh, Mission Impossible movies. I can't, I can't say words. Uh, well, I mean, I, th- I, I appreciate that it's not direct and linear and straightforward. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining that there are too many <laughs> twists and turns. I, I am, I am not. You're doing a lot of hedging not, today. Yeah, well, it's difficult because uh, I don't dislike this movie, um, but at the same time, uh, I do have criticisms of this movie, uh, and I want to express those in a way that doesn't make it seem like I hate this movie. Um, because I I would like to see Christopher McQuarrie continue to do these, since he's responsible for some of the creative decisions I liked in Ghost Protocol, and he's responsible for um, Rogue Nation, and he did this. Uh, I feel like maybe he had to get some excesses out of his system, perhaps. I'm not entirely sure. It's... <laughs> It's so if the next one strange. comes out and it's three hours long and it's the same sort of thing on an even bigger scale, you're going to be like, oh, I was wrong, my bad. Yeah, well, I mean, there's a very real chance that could happen. But uh, I, I'm kind of hopeful that he has two movies greenlit, so maybe he can, because I think they're shooting them back to back or something. So I think he can just make, instead of making one movie that's two movies smushed into one, he can make two movies that are two movies. Uh, <laughs> oh, but what if he does uh, two Two movies per movie that are squished. They need to have four movies that are squished yeah. into two movies. No. <laughs> yeah, he's he's he's. Uh, this is going to sound terrible, but he's he's quickly turning into like the Tarantino of action movies. He's like he's just doing whatever he wants to do, and then suddenly he's doing a lot of things. Yeah. Well, you know, a lot can be good. I mean, like while I've criticized these action set pieces in the stunt work for going on for too long, um, having the same numbing effect that can occur from, uh, CG sequences, uh, where things are not real, um, that it, it, it can provide that same distance to the audience to have that stuff happening. Um, I, I do appreciate the way that a lot of this was shot and put together. And there are many, um, very interesting scenes in here. It just gets diluted with, uh, a lot of the other stuff that's happening. Uh, like there's some of the stuff when their car is chasing each other where I'm like, how the F did they shoot that? Uh, they're just like on a wide anamorphic and then they like almost like crash zoom into the car that Tom Cruise is in. It's like, 
what rig was this on? Did you shoot that in reverse? Like the car accelerated away from Tom Cruise? Like, how did you do that? Um, but uh, it's uh, it's a lot of really interesting stuff, and it's shot very well. Uh, this is the last two were shot by uh, the, the same. I think it was Elswit um, who shot the last. Yeah, Elswit who shot the last two films, and this one is Rob Hardy. Um, who continued the wide-angle anamorphic thing, except he went for a lot of super-wide anamorphic uh, stuff mm. in this. And I, I think that it's really interesting, and it looks good, and it's a great way to convey a lot of the action that's occurring on screen because they're on narrow streets with a lot of cars and motorcycles zooming around. Um, or uh, a lot of scenes in this movie take place in like colonnades for some reason um or rows of trees or <laughs> rows of metal bars that glint light off of them in a certain way mm. Mm. but uh yeah cool looking yeah a lot of rows uh you gotta fill out the side of the frame i guess but um it's it, it's shot well it looks really interesting um the the action that they capture is good it's just from the totality of it the the looking at it from like a bird's eye view of like what did you what did you accomplish overall with the scene um i feel like maybe perhaps it has Mm. that numbing effect of too much um happening too much of a good thing are are there individual pieces that you uh, uh, i mean yeah i i i I don't know how to say this like yeah i get the overall numbing effect that you're talking about are there pieces that you feel less satisfied with uh that you could see them abbreviating or you would like them to shorten in some way well i think the first time i list is the helicopter chase at the end of the movie <laughs> uh you didn't you didn't you didn't enjoy all of the helicopteriness well i got that they were in helicopters <laughs> yes and it's very clear that they're in helicopters the one helicopter is chasing the other helicopter and the one helicopter is trying to hit the other helicopter and there are mountains mm-hmm. and they got to dodge the mountains yeah, uh, and the one guy's got a machine gun, uh, Tom, Tommy gun. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, that's it. Uh, I think that's a saw. He's he's got he's got a thing. Um, but there was all that happening. Uh, it just goes on for a very long time, and they keep cutting back to like Michelle Monaghan and Luther, uh, like snipping a wire, <laughs> moving on to the next wire, and right. Benji like trying to unlock crates. Um, and it, it just. <laughs> And then you cut back to the helicopters thing, and it's like still helicopters, and it's like wh- what? <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Well, the know. thing is, like, I think on their own, each of those pieces, I don't think they're overly indulgent. Like when they wrote them and shot them, I, I, I feel like they were relatively concise pieces. But when you're intercutting three or four different locations, and they're all massive action pieces going on at the same time, like it, it does stretch out, and you got to kind of hold a lot of different threads together in your brain at the same time. Well, snipping wires is not an action set piece. That's that's the exposition. That's catching up with Michelle Monaghan. That's giving yeah. Her that, that's the lines. least stressful part <laughs> of the whole thing. Um, but you know, I that, you know the helicopter stuff again. That's the that's the the old Mission Impossible one-upsmanship. Like Tom Cruise flew some helicopters and they strapped a camera in it in a way that you could tell that it was Tom Cruise flying helicopters and he did some crazy stuff. And I almost think it's. Uh, almost cut a little too fast for you to really appreciate the fact that he's doing a lot of this stuff but like i don't know whatever it's uh it's it's cool he did it and they want to show that stuff but also stuff needs to continue to happen you gotta you gotta fight lane you gotta find the second bomb you gotta 
cut the wires at the same time and everything's got a crescendo all at the same time with the 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 removing the thing from the thing mm-hmm. when they snip the things yeah and i think that's what makes the helicopter scene suffer because the helicoptering has to go on for so long <laughs> because you have to feel like there's no way that ethan is going to get the um that little control key off of the remote detonator yeah uh, he doesn't know how to fly it he's being chased he's being shot at uh his helicopter is is losing altitude and fuel because it got hit by bullets uh, then he's being chased some more and through the clouds and then he, he rams the one and then they're rolling down the hill and then it rolls further down the hill and then they're falling off the edge. Then they're falling further off the edge and then they're off another edge. And it's like, gracious, this is a lot of helicopter. No, it's a glacier, Dan. Right. Of course. Well, I mean, part of it's uh part of it wasn't glacier. <laughs> the the yeah. last bit, the gray bit with the rock, with the hook. Honestly, at a certain point, I was just like. Well, at least they didn't do an avalanche <laughs> on top of all of this. <laughs> I mean, you know, and that was the point of the movie where I was like, uh, the, what's the next craziest thing that could happen? So the helicopter chase, and then they crash them, and then they're rolling, and then one rolls into the other one, and then they go over the edge, but then they're stuck in a little uh, nook between the rocks, and then they go further down the nook, and then one of them falls out, and then the other one rolls off of another little ledge that you didn't see was there and is dangling by a hook, and it's like, good lord, guys, can't a helicopter crash just be a helicopter crash? Yeah, yeah. I agree with uh, you, Dr. Freud. (laughs) uh but then um they you know they they do some weird stuff where they turn henry cavill into a monster because they spray him in the face with some hot oil which uh (laughs) interesting i have a little theory for you Mm -hmm. this movie is christian mccrory's dark knight um how other than there's a two-faced guy there's wait is is solomon the joker because he's chaos yes. boy yes oh god solomon's the joker uh lark is two-face and the the whole chase thing of uh them trying to like get the guy who uh y- y- you know the chase that occurs in the dark knight where the joker is trying to get at harvey dent uh in police custody uh yes yes um it, it's it just seemed very inspired by that and on the, of course the music uh helps with that uh that notion because it seems like the music is very atmospheric and textured and very much like the dark knight as opposed to something like uh the previous movies um uh while i had really liked joe kramer's score uh and his use of uh lao Schifrin's, um uh, original Mission Impossible theme throughout, as, in addition to his uh, little theme that he came up with for Solomon Lane and all this other uh, stuff that he did through Late Motif and trying to fuse sort of the retro 60s vibe with modern um, thematic uh, uh, movie scoring. Um, that all went in a completely different direction, and I'm very interested to find out why that was, because what we wind up with is something that's very textural and percussive and uh, seems based largely on something like Hans Zimmer's, uh, uh, well, allegedly Hans Zimmer's uh, Dark Knight stuff, um, and and sort of like building tension through that. Uh, so, 
it, it you just left me with this weird impression of like okay so there's the joker and he's got this plan and you can't do the thing and you got to do the thing and you need the thing and you can't kill this person so you got to go along with the thing and he's the mirror of you but not but he isn't whatever mm. and you've got uh threatening Richard chaos detonator too yeah, you got threatening. Uh, you can't, you can't save both glaciers. Um, but you got <laughs> <laughs> you got you got threatening uh, the 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 uh, loved one, um, which was Maggie Gyllenhaal, unfortunately, in the second movie, and is uh, Michelle Monaghan here. Um, you you got a lot of stuff going on, and I'm not saying that Christopher McQuarrie was uh taking out a notepad watching the dark knight and going that's a good idea um but i'm saying that thematically it bears a strong resemblance to something like that uh in many places in the film where i got the impression that i was watching something that was similar to that Mm. not that mr 24 tweet tweet storm was ripping it off in any way yeah i can't say i had that uh, feeling while watching it, but um, in retrospect, I can see the point where you're where you're mixing these pe- people. Uh, although yeah, Lark Lark just wants a better world, just like uh, what's his face? He doesn't really get any work anymore. Um, since <laughs> Aaron Eckhart, um, yes. <laughs> uh, although you know, Two Face and the Joker never really like collaborated like this, where they shook hands and were like, you know, well, they they yeah. actually do in the hospital at the end of the movie, but um, I guess, but it's not like, oh, your manifesto is too long, but let's get out of here and go blow some stuff up. <laughs> uh, some manifestos just want to watch the world burn, but um, yeah. and I don't think the Joker would be like got bomb set up and uh, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy the detonation because once this goes off, I will have won. I did not. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be straight up honest with you here. I did not like that thing for Solomon Lane. Mm. Um, it, it, Cause like that does really make him like a sociopath, like the Joker and less so an anarchist. Uh, and he's directly criticized by, um, lark by by uh, uh henry cavill's character uh because he's seeking revenge instead of uh participating in the anarchy plan um you know the, yeah i think yeah. the thread there is supposed to be that uh he spent the last couple of years being uh tortured and interrogated and uh in addition to being uh, an anarchist at heart, he's kind of pissed off at Ethan. So not only is he going to execute his uh, anarchistic plan, he's also going to do that in the uh, close proximity to Ethan's former wife, uh, just to you know twist the dagger a little bit more. And then also Ethan will probably be there too because he can't help himself. So, but yeah, like he does turn into a Bond villain at that point where he's just kind of like, uh, well, 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 Mister Bond, I guess I've got the upper hand. And I'm going to kill you and your family because I am sadistic. Yes. Mm. Although I will, I will say, um, if uh, if Solomon Lane is in the next Christopher McQuarrie movie, I'm uh, I'm I'm flipping my table and I might walk out. <laughs> he, he got I'm, two. That's all he needs. I I I liked Solomon Lane more in the last movie than I like him here, um, specifically because in the last movie. He was a guy with a plan to undo governments. And in this movie, he he's a comic book villain. Uh, and so I don't 
I don't enjoy that. It it reduces yeah. him. Also, he had eyewear in the last movie, and he has nothing <laughs> yeah, very here. Very classy eyewear. Yeah, very classy eyewear. And uh, yeah. he, he was a snappy dresser, and he was clean shaven. Turns out, don't love the beard. Uh, mm. But it's yeah. This is supposed to be the the um, uh, disgruntled, radicalized uh, Solomon Lane, and uh, he doesn't really read as that because his his vibe was very low key previously so yeah i appreciated him more when he was unruffled and cool and calm and in control of the situation and not just looney tunes and in this he just seems very much like a cartoon character uh which is irritating to me um because it feels like a regression because you had what, what had seemed like a more complex character with like real goals and then you turned him into this sort of like aha but now i will watch you suffer and it's like but do we do we gotta do we gotta do that um because it's not a good plan and it's like proven to not be a good plan like there's a whole thing where uh ethan hunt is chasing john lark through london um and then finally gets to John Lark and catches up to his elevator and John Lark could kill him, but uh, he's been instructed not to and instead hands him the photo and says that Ethan Hunt has been instructed to turn himself in and say that he's John Lark and that uh, they're going to frame him. And it's like, what? No one would buy that at this point in the movie. And of course that is indeed what they say in the next scene is like, no one would buy that if we did that. Like, doesn't make any sense. Like that ship has sailed. Like why would, why would he want that? Uh, his plan didn't work. Um, but uh, but for whatever reason, that was the weird moment that they have together uh, to talk about that. But I so it reduces Solomon Lane, makes him seem not that great uh, as a as a villain, and I don't want to see him come back um, because it would just be even I I have a f- suspicion even more unhinged and less logical, and I feel like. <laughs> I feel like the the sort of thinking ab- about all of the ramifications of things, thinking things through and approaching these problems in a very pragmatic way um, to come up with his solutions is very interesting. And which watching him just be like, I'm going to kill you now. They tried to bring back his, his uh, that's exactly what Lane would want us to do because he's such a devious uh, you know, bad guy that he plans out every eventuality. Uh, and they say it, I think two or three times in this movie. And it really just kind of, uh, rings hollow. Cause he, he's not, he's not, he's not the lane of the previous movie, but, um, yeah, I, he's also kind of like, I don't know. He's like half a scene away from like being captured by the police on purpose, which was always part of his plan, Mr. Bond, uh, and then escapes through the floor or something. Yeah. Well, his, the whole original plan was that uh, John Lark and the CIA would capture him. And then, you know, the real John Lark uh, would abscond with him and to the apostles and do the, the plutonium thing and all that. But that was curtailed by um, Ethan Hunt and, Henry Cavill's participation in that plan up until that point. Um, cause Henry Cavill kept thinking he would like be able to counter this and fix things, uh, up until the last moment in the safe house where, 
uh he's he's like yes they immediately walked out of earshot time for me to reveal my devious plan (laughs) um but uh you know it's it's just it's interesting yeah it's all interesting they do do a similar thing with ilsa too where when we see her she's working for the bad guys again it seems but there's a lot of i can't tell you that even though i'm gonna help you but i'm I'm bad but also good and then it's only like two-thirds of the way through the movie where he's like oh so uh you're trying to prove yourself to get back in the good graces of mi6 like why didn't you just leave and uh but like you have to you have to play both sides and look like you're a double agent to one, but also maybe a one and a half agent to this other. It's 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 no, really complicated. I I didn't care for that at all. I, th- I thought that she could have been very direct about what her goals were because it wasn't terrible uh, and would have saved everyone a lot of headache. Um, yeah, because uh, when when he goes in and he meets the White Widow or whatever, and like he has to defend himself and find his way out of there, like Henry Cavill and Ilsa sort of like help him out, so they look like they're part of his team, which they could have like agreed to do on their way in instead of just like doing that ad hoc and then walking out like, yeah, we planned this all along. Like you could have literally just planned that. Yeah. Well. Especially with with uh, with Ilsa, when her reason is, you know, Godfather Three. Uh, I tried to get out; they pulled me back in. <laughs> like we saw the movie, Ilsa. We're fine. We got it. Um, just just say that. Like she was heartbroken to... because Ethan didn't go with her. They didn't run run off together into the sunset. Yeah, well, she should have said, "I couldn't have done it on my own" or something, and said, "Like I, that's why I needed you with me." But instead, it turns into like, "Oh, it was too sad," and so I, you know, MI six caught back up with me, and it's like that's not the way you phrase that, really, Ilsa, because Ilsa is a very strong, determined, um, motivated, uh, and possessed, self possessed uh, character, and so to just suddenly have her go, "Oh, blah blah blah, my mission," um, and like, "Oh, you can't tell you until like two thirds of the way through the movie when all of a sudden we meet in some trees, and then like now's the time." And it's like, what the, the uh, no, I, I don't. Th- I, I think don't, uh, don't Tom Cruise even says that at some point where she said like, "You don't know what you." what what's going on or whatever and he's like if anyone's going to understand it's going to be ethan hunt so literally just tell him everything yes. and he'll 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 understand what you're where you're coming from and why you have to do the things you do like she says at one point like i know you had your reasons and you had to do it a certain way and it's like yeah and he would probably feel the same way because you're a spy and he understands how spy things happen so just 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 you know communication is important uh yeah. especially in a relationship here but then they communicate and then everything's fine and it's just like why couldn't we use- why couldn't we have had that in the movie earlier? Um, I mean, I guess it drove up tension, except for the fact that it's like, but it's Ilsa, and we like her. And, like, Christopher McQuarrie is not going to be, like, some bloodthirsty guy who's going to make Ilsa into a bad guy uh, yeah. for the film. It was um, a nice surprise to see her come in and save him at that, at that moment. Uh, and then, you know, we didn't need to drag on the, the, the weirdness about it for so long. Yeah. And then there's, uh, after the John Lark thing, there's a debriefing, basically, of... Uh, Ethan's relationship with Michelle Monaghan's character, Julia, uh, where she gets the lowdown from Luther and Luther is telling her to walk away. And then we get the reversal of something that she had said to Ethan earlier in the film when Ethan shows up and he's like, oh, what? you guys talking? You guys talking in here? Um, and uh, she's like, no, I got to go with you on the mission. And, you know, it's it's like uh, whatever it was he said, like, oh, too dangerous or whatever i don't know like they they they, they reverse the lines it's a there's a very writerly thing to do um but they uh they go on their mission and um we instantly know 
that Julia's in peril, um, mostly because they've talked about Julia several times in the production of this film and because we saw Michelle Monaghan at the beginning of this film and the odds of Michelle Monaghan receiving a paycheck for that alone. <laughs> for, for one dream sequence. <laughs> would be so infinitesimally small uh, that I feel like it was weird to do that. Uh, I feel like they should have just been either like very upfront with the fact that she's in the movie or uh, just, you know, not had her in the movie up until the end and then revealed her. But uh, for whatever reason, they decided this is the direction they wanted to go. I would have preferred the uh, don't reveal her until later. Yeah, because the whole entire time I'm just going to be thinking, well, well, she was there and she smiled. That was it. And it's like, you didn't just pay her to do that. I mean, I know you did that in Mission Impossible 4 in Ghost Protocol. Um, yeah, but it's it's not even like a he's sad that he misses her kind of thing. It's 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 so much foreshadowing and silliness that you can't even imagine that he might just be having a dream about his ex-wife or whatever. It's It has to be plot-related. No, no, right, exactly. And at the end of the movie... Um, when they're like, why are we going to Kashmir? Oh, there was a smallpox outbreak and there's a medical station. Why would it be at a medical station? It's like, well, Julia works at a hospital. <laughs> My dude, your ex-wife was a doctor. Figure it out. Put the things together. I, I feel like and he already knows that Julia is actually threatened, not just his premonition dream, but like he's literally been handed a printed photograph from Walgreens or whatever. <laughs> and he's, he's like, oh my God, Julia's involved in this. This is terrible. And then he's getting, they're all getting there and they're just like, huh, weird. Some little medical thing. Huh, this is a small packs. Hmm, I don't know. Whatever. And then they, they, they're just shocked when they see Julia. And mm. it's like, well, I'm not shocked. I'm not surprised. Like, why are you yeah. surprised, Tom Cruise? Like, you should expect Julia at all times, basically. <laughs> like, <laughs> her life has been threatened twice so far. Uh yeah. Although I I did kind of appreciate uh when when he's meeting the the new husband how they had their little shorthand uh where she says like oh he's on vacation he's like no I'm working just so like to sort of subtly tell her under the radar like we're all gonna die by the way but uh you know so I gotta I gotta get moving here soon but uh you know I I'm not here strictly on accident yeah I and I like her reaction to that news that she understood what he was getting at with her with his cleverly coded vacation working message um i i i uh i like michelle bonhan i don't feel like she gets enough work as we've discussed previously when we did uh the the uh the what was that movie uh ryan reynolds the uh ryan reynolds no not ryan reynolds the, same the director one, yeah the the shane black robert downey jr the, the yeah and uh kiss, what's kiss, his name yes kiss, kiss bang bang yeah yes that one like I, I just don't understand why she doesn't get more work things to do um uh, yeah. she's i mean she's, she, she was in uh season one of true detective oh fantastic good for her <laughs> really panned out but uh, i feel like michelle, it was michelle good season. okay well i mean it just hasn't spiraled out into like lots of opportunities for is what i'm saying well. i feel like michelle monaghan should be in more things is, is all i'm trying to get at mm-hmm. um I'm and you had her imdb let's see what she's doing yeah and you you had west bentley um american beauty guy admiring plastic bags um, oh, the guy with the eyebrows. Yes, the guy with the eyebrows. You you, you recognize him from uh, American Beauty, isn't he? Isn't he in the the uh, the American Horrors story? Maybe is he? I think he was also in Ghost Rider. 
Yes. Oh, he was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, was he, a, he was like the oh, water Oh, he was ghost. more Drake. Yeah. Mm. Or no, he was he the main bad guy or was he like the water bad guy? Well, he was only in wait, water bad guy. What, what what are we talking about here? In in Ghost Rider, there was a guy who was oh. who was smoke, and then there was a guy who was water. I n- I never saw the Ghost Rider movies. Oh, it's it's bad. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> so I didn't see the Ghost Rider movies. But uh, yeah, I was saying he's more Drake in uh in American Horror Story Freak Show. That was the season I worked on. Oh uh, right, but yeah. Yeah, I didn't have any more Drake shots, so I guess I just didn't really think about him. Just glossed over that entirely. Mm-hmm. I see how it is. Yeah. Oh, he was in Interstellar. That was a movie. Yeah, yeah he was uh, with Anne Hathaway. He was? Mm-hmm. Oh. On that team, I thought. Um, right? Yes? Oh, I don't know. Who cares? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um Oh, he was in Jonah Hex too. My goodness, he's he's got a look, man. They're really, oh, he's he's Blackheart in Ghost Rider, so I think he was like the main bad guy. Okay, Dan. Yeah, we've established that Wes Bentley has had a career. We yes. can <laughs> we can move on to the rest of the movie. He has ominous um, eyes. Hmm. And we have uh, speaking of the rest of the cast, since we're just doing cast stuff, let's just quickly mm-hmm. go through some of the other ones we haven't talked about. Uh, we have we have uh, uh, Vanessa Kirby as uh, Alana Mitsopoulos, the White Widow, um, who is the black market arms dealer who they have to try to work with, and who is supposed to be the the daughter of Max. Yes, I was going to say uh, I I didn't remember that from the first time I watched this movie, but it sounded like they were they were hitting that pretty hard, so it seemed pretty obvious. It was incredibly hardly hit, um, and. We had her brother, who was a person in the in the scene, um, didn't really do much of anything other than witness a couple things. But uh, the important thing to know about Alana Mitsopoulos is that uh, she had some weird, gropey chemistry with uh, Ethan Hunt, and uh, she was also working for the CIA, um, and so that was happening all along. Another cast member worth mentioning is, of course, Angela Bassett, um, who can make a meal out of any role, um, I will say, because uh, Erica Sloan is not a particularly noteworthy or interesting role to play, um, but Angela Bassett does it with aplomb. Um, unfortunately, Erica Sloan is written like a total dum-dum um, because she's supposed to be this hard-as-nails, like takes no nonsense boss but who doesn't believe in the imf and thinks they need to be brought in and do all this other stuff and it's like so she's just alec baldwin from the last movie basically Mm -hmm. and alec baldwin is playing jeremy renner from the last movie oh yeah jeremy renner's gone uh yeah and i found uh sorely sorely missed I, I liked Jeremy Renner. I found mm. uh, Angela Bassett's uh, voiceover at the end of the movie to be incredibly disingenuous, too. I don't feel like that character earned the whole, now I see why Director Hunley believed in you so much, <sighs> and the world needs people like you, Ethan Hunt, because you did some stuff that was was good. And it's like, well, no, I, I guess. Like, she's the new this- secretary or whatever, so I guess, but I didn't buy it. No, because she does the same pivot that uh, that Alec Baldwin did, where all of a sudden he goes from, 
you're a menace and you take matters into your own hands and you consult with anybody and your methods aren't justified um, to all of a sudden going, oh, well, you did one mission. So, so congratulations. Uh, I trust you implicitly. Which was very important. Yeah. I don't know. It's it just, it's, it's strange. I, I, I don't buy these pivots either from Alec Baldwin in the last movie or from Angela Bassett in this movie where she's doing the Alec Baldwin role and Alec Baldwin is doing the role where he believes in uh, in Ethan Hunt. So, uh, and f- fine, a lot of good that did him believing in Ethan Hunt. He gets, he gets stabbed in the tum tum. Um, and, uh, <sighs> yeah. he dies. I was sad to see him go, although I'm sure he, um, wanted to move on to things. I sure everybody wanted to move on to many things. Um, but Alec Baldwin, uh, was an interesting person to play. The, the the character of Hunley, the the former CIA director, who was the IMF secretary, um, but I I don't know what they're going to do with the next one. I don't know if it's going to be Erica Sloan now or if it's going to be some other person. If they're going to get Jeremy Renner back in or something. That would be weird, but um, wouldn't be like out of the question, I guess. <laughs> secretary Renner, <laughs> uh, man, whippersnappers in charge of all kinds of th- things. But, uh, you know, he can't speak without the secretary's approval. Only he's the secretary now. He can't get out of it now. Um, but, uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, and Simon Pegg, I gotta say, continues to deliver. Um, he's probably my favorite in these latter movies, um, because he gets to play the comedy and do some action stuff, a little more action stuff with every movie. And in this movie, he gets a lot more stuff. Um, he finally gets to wear masks. So many Twice. masks. Twice, two masks. Uh, and two? He did yeah. Blitzer and then Solomon? Yep. Um, and uh, he only got to wear a hypothetical mask in the previous movie when they were doing right. the dream sequence kind of heist thing. That's right. But uh, making up for lost time. I guess uh, he's he's interesting in in the the sort of like skills balance chart that is his character um, because he's not he's not particularly good at any one thing. Um, like Luther seems to be better at all the computer stuff than he is. Uh, Ethan is better at all the physical actiony things than he is. Uh, as, in addition to uh, Rebecca Ferguson, um, is Ilsa being better at all that that stuff. But he he can he's a good all arounder uh, who can jump in at a at a moment's near notice of yeah you know incredulously saying what now and then then doing it anyways yeah um, some levity so to the organization too you always need a funny guy on the team yeah because I gotta say without him it would be incredibly dry this this go because uh, it's uh, the, these movies have gotten more serious in tone as they've gone on. Uh, the these latter three. Uh, <laughs> I was say, the first one's pretty serious. The first one's serious. the The second one is goofballs. Um, the third one is a little silly, um, but not like slapstick. Ghost Protocol is pretty funny mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. I I think because of Brad Bird's influence, and uh, these two movies uh the previous one was more serious than brad's brad birds which i'd commented on at the time that i prefer some moments of levity in these kinds of films because 
IMF's not like a real thing. Like, it's not like I need to be like, oh, I need to respect the IMF. No, you just like have have a couple jokes. Um, you know, it's not gonna kill you. And uh, they, Maybe that's they do part have of the a, interview. You gotta you gotta tell a joke. Yeah, and, and so they they have a few jokes, but they've been whittling that down the the joke amount and it's mostly just like incredulous reactions now where it's like what no you can't be serious you can't do that no no, no. you know it's like okay well i mean it's a form of humor but it, it like there's less of the <laughs> like the funniness the out the outright funniness hmm so you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna keep watching them when they come out I think so because we have a podcast, and I'm sure that we're gonna like have <laughs> material to discuss. Yeah, God knows we we need we need things to talk about, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, feed us content. Um, we're gonna run out of movies, of course, because there's it's only been a handful. Uh, but I think that's all I I really have to say about this is like just structure wise, a lot of stuff happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, wish it had a lot been of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous, uh, especially a lot of what have yous. And uh, I kind of wish that it had been not removed, but separated into different complete pictures, a, a two-parter, if you will, instead of a, a single story, because it just kept going and going and going, and um, it didn't need to. And do you, do you have uh, a sense of where you would have drawn that line? No, because I feel like if you were actually going to separate these movies, you would have built in more of an ending. So I don't think you would have had a, as clear a cut. But I would say that if if I were to use this this movie as like the place I would draw like a line on the script and say like think about doing it here, I would say that after uh, they catch uh, Henry Cavill trying to release Solomon Lane and turn the tables on him and then the CIA guys come in and they shoot them and then the bad guys escape I would say that that would be a great place to end the thing because then you're just like holy crap cliffhanger uh cliffhanger like the ending description not cliffhanger like the movie with (laughs) Sylvester Sloan and the cables and hanging over gorgeous uh yeah yeah um yeah I guess uh I don't know because the one of the things that we've learned from the you know the actual Mission Impossible uh, podcast, not ours, uh, is, is that they come into these movies and oh, say I, like, I, okay. I think you mean uh, the Light Diffuse podcast? Yeah, yeah, that one. <laughs> um, is that a lot of times they'll show up and they'll say like, all right, I want to do, want to do a helicopter chase, I want to ride a motorcycle real fast through a city, maybe Paris, and then like another big thing, and then we're gonna kind of work around that for the movie. Uh, it seems like their list was a little long this time, or I don't know, they just got carried away with the ideas or something. Yeah. <sighs> Bit of a bummer. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. Uh, apparently, I bought it. I think uh, <laughs> I think I was bored one night, and I wanted to watch the movie, and it was not available for rent, and there was nothing else to watch. Uh, so uh, I purchased it, apparently. So I, I own this, so I can, I can watch this movie whenever I want. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, yeah. Do you have uh, the special features? Like, what is the? Is there a black and white or something of this? I feel. I feel like they had a thing. Uh, I don't think I have the version version with bonus features. Um, but I did notice the aspect ratio changing uh, on it a couple of times. So you know, the IMAXy stuff was kind of neat. 
I did not notice that in the version I was watching, but uh, mm. what I was watching was on uh, Hulu, technically, so I don't know what they had. But uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of the uh, the helicoptery bits and some of the other action bits were full sixteen nine, and the rest of the movie was two four. Did did I lose you? Yeah, I turned my head to the side, and I accidentally <laughs> hit the button on the headphones that triggered Siri on my computer. <laughs> Wait, that it does that. Uh, apparently oh I, uh, um i won't try so i missed i missed the last couple seconds that you 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 like this movie you bought it something something um, aspect ratio oh 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 the imax stuff was all 16 by 9 and the rest of the movie was uh 240 to 1 ratio cinemascope cinemascope you love cinemascope not wide enough for me buddy i tell you what <laughs> You went two three five. Uh, the video I just shot is uh three point one one to one. <laughs> what are you shoving this on like Barco projectors? It is. Uh, it's it's going on a very unusual screen. Hmm. Okay. Anamorphic. Anamorphic. It is very anamorphic. Ovals. ovals. Do you have oval bokas? I have oval bokas and I got some bitchin' flares. Mmm. You saw mm. a couple of them. You saw a couple of them. What uh what what anamorphic lens did you use? Oh, I knew you were gonna ask me that. Uh it was a forty millimeter, I can tell you that. Uh we had okay. a forty, a sixty five, and a one hundred. Uh and uh I liked the forty so much we didn't even bother changing. <laughs> we just moved in <laughs> we just moved in closer and moved further away because you can get so close to people. Uh, I think the close focus distance was like two and a half feet, and it still had this massively wide field of view, and I really wanted that wide look. It was just awesome. Wow. Uh, nice. Atlas anamorphic? Does that sound right? Uh, I mean, that could be. I, I'm not yeah. really well-versed in them. Yeah, Atlas Lens Company. Uh, they they came out like a year or so ago. They're like very new, um, and you can get uh, a, a set of three for like seven or eight thousand bucks, which is crazy mm. cheap for anamorphics. They have a thirty-two, a forty, a fifty, a sixty-five, an eighty, and a one hundred. And we had the original forty, sixty-five, one hundred kit. Because uh, I had um, been watching a lot of uh, YouTube videos about uh, vintage anamorphic lenses for still photography adapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause apparently that's the thing that a lot of people do. Uh, and there are different kinds and like, there was a lot of stuff with like projector lenses and like special French ones and special yeah. Russian ones. And it was just like, wow, people, people are really into this stuff. Yeah. Um, it's, it's weird when people talk about the lenses, like we shot this on the Todd AO lenses or whatever. It's like, it, that's just like a set of lenses that one rental company in LA owns. And it's just like, oh yeah, we, we, we use those ones. It's like not like a type of lens. It's like no that that little kit over there. We used that one. It's like wow, okay. There's not very many vintage lenses anymore. But um, the ones we used, uh, hilariously, like they have a little section that shows you some footage that was shot on them. the The top thing uh, that they're showing off that was shot on it was the uh, the video for uh, "Thank You Next." <laughs> Everything else is just sort of like test footage and like uh, you know B roll type stuff that they shot. But uh, apparently. Apparently they got an Ariana Grande music video with their lens. So, well, what, what what anamorphic lens do you think they used on Mission Impossible Fallout, Dan? Oh, don't ask me that. Uh, this was shot <laughs> on film, wasn't it? Um, 
Yes. He's probably Panavision. Um, I'm I'm looking now. Uh, oh, they shot with the Millennium DXL. Interesting. That is the red camera that has been Panavised with the Primo 70 lenses. So that's interesting. C and E series lenses. I think, was it the C series lenses? Those are the uh, anamorphics. Oh, Red Weapon Dragon. That's the camera we used. Interesting. So wait, was this all digital? No, they got Airy 235, which is film. Airy 435, which is film. Millennium DXL, which is film. Panaflex Millennium XL2, that's film. Because um, I was going to say, there's so much of this movie where I'm just like, hello, Grain. How yeah. are you? <laughs> yeah, the, there's three film cameras listed and two digital cameras listed. Okay. And both I'm going to assume ostensibly reds. Yeah, I'm going to assume that the digital cameras are used primarily in action stunt stuff. Although uh, none of these listed are um, IMAX, uh, so that's curious. Although the the new Panavision Red camera I just discovered is VistaVision, I don't think the original one was VistaVision. Uh, size. Oh, maybe. No, uh, the Panavision's website is terrible. Well, VistaVision is thirty-five on its side, right? Yeah, it's a uh, full-frame stills size. Yeah. So yeah. should be adaptable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just I don't think um, I don't think the original DXL was that size. Mm, okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, this matter. is a fun conversation that I'm sure has riveted anyone yeah. we, listening. We, we've we've probably been in the, in the after show for ten minutes now. Oh no! When did uh, that happen? I don't <laughs> know. make a note. <laughs> no, it, it didn't actually happen. We're, we'll say after show now. We'll okay. Hello, everyone who listens to this stuff that happens on these things uh we have a a little bit of an after show that we do because we have a version that we don't edit that we just post immediately (laughs) afterwards you can hear bloops and bloops and can you hear me and stuff it's fun um doesn't usually disrupt that much of the thing and then uh we get a little conversation afterwards that's uh just uh privy to the members so go ahead and become a member so you can listen to that today um in the meantime if you don't want to be a member enjoy the music from fallout whatever i selected goes here (laughs) just select the car and motorcycle sounds from the uh the one of the paris chases that didn't have any score in it you know it loses its effectiveness if every time you're gonna have a car chase in a movie you're gonna be like this is the one that doesn't have any score and it's like okay (laughs) we get it it's the serious one now because ilsa's chasing them it's it bugs me dan like I, I, I want to see them. You need your score. I want to see, like, well, no, I just want to see them do more stuff. So- oh, so we didn't really talk about. I don't really love Lauren Balfi's score. Uh, it fits this movie in the same way that the score for The Dark Knight fits The Dark Knight, but uh, it's not like that makes The Dark Knight my favorite Batman score. Like I prefer Danny Elfman's Batman score. I don't prefer Danny Elfman's Mission Impossible score, but um. Uh, it's it's very this is movie is scored very differently from uh, Ghost Protocol and uh, uh, Mission Impossible Three by Michael Giacchino and it's scored very differently from um, uh, Rogue Nation by Joe Kramer. Did you notice a difference? 
I did only because you were talking about it on Twitter last week uh, with Dan Warren. Uh, So I I did pay attention to the fact that a lot of the parts of this movie, the score was just going like, bum, 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 bum. It's like, uh, it's not really much there, guys. No, no. It's just like a bed of like churning musical instruments that are occurring. Yeah. Yeah. And Which is they a, did a, a very slow version of the Mission Impossible theme when he's contemplating whether or not he's going to kill everybody when they they kidnap Lane. Mm-hmm. It wasn't great. I mean, it, it doesn't bother me because I don't really pay as much attention to it as you do, but... It, it still blows my mind that you'll be like, did you hear that sound effect that's been reused from this <laughs> library? And I'll be like, what? And then I'll be like, did you hear this music that's been playing the entire time? And you'd be like, there was music? <laughs> I mean, I always assume there's music. It just adds to the general atmosphere of the thing, but uh, I don't really care about it. Like, it's very rare that uh, the, there's there's a score piece so good that I go like, oh, man, that was... You, did you hear that thing? Yeah. Unless it's the social network, in which case, <laughs> I'm all about it. Well, I want to watch the new Watchmen, because um, apparently your, your bro, Trent Reznor, did the score mm. for it. Oh, did he really now? Yes, I, I pasted that in the chat room, and, and then that I was talking to you, and I said, "Hey, look, your your buddy <laughs> did this," and then you didn't say anything, so I figured you were probably pooping at the office or something. But um, it was <laughs> was, it, was that today that you put that in the thing? No, it was a couple days ago. Oh, uh, it was not when you were filming. Oh. I left you alone when you were filming. Hmm. Well, I mean, you didn't have a choice because there was no cell phone signal where I was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was. You can get to get out of the office and do a thing. Mm-hmm. I got to inhale a lot of smoke. Is there a fire or people were smoking? The forest was on fire. Oh. All around us in every direction. <laughs> well, I'm sure it looked beautiful captured on your red camera. There was a lot of lot of atmospheric haze, almost a little too much. I would have dialed it back by half personally if I was <laughs> art directing it. Uh, the 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 smoke to the, the the east was a little little gray and black, but the rest of it was just very white haze that smelled like a campfire. Mm-hmm. That was like last week, or yeah. well, week and a half ago. We had a uh, that fire uh, in the northern part of the San Fernando Valley. Mm-hmm. Although they, uh, th- uh, this one was on purpose because they were, um, the forest rangers were pre-burning sections, I guess. For safety. For safety, yeah. But they were, you know, it was like a, like a 150 mile radius, just like every, every 30 yards, there's a tree on fire. It's like, oh, all right. Okay. I guess this is probably good for some reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 